This Quiercast podcast is brought to you by Ideas Digest. I'm Conrad. And I'm Matt. Each week, two optimistic Aussie blokes explore new (laughs) and challenging ideas outside of our echo chamber on our totally realistic quest to achieve world peace, maybe some personal enlightenment. Is that too much of an oversell? No, just roll the montage. Okay. I'm right and you're wrong. What are you talking about? Straight men enjoy gay sex. What? The Bible is extremely pro-abortion. You're a sexist man who loves Jordan Peterson. This is progressive? No, this is arson. Do you think that kick us out? I've done psychedelics 150 times in my life. Why the hell should I trust you now? Don't define me by what I do in bed. Oh my God. These ideas can be like membership key to a particular social group. So break free from your echo chamber each week on Ideas Digest, anywhere you get your podcasts. It's going to be an amazing time. Amazing. (laughs) Hey, this is Jason Elam with the Messy Spirituality Podcast, and I just can't seem to get enough of Second Cup with Keith. It's theological caffeine for my brain. Hello, and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles, and in this episode... I wanted to talk about Jesus, and you know, I I know I talk about Jesus all the time, but I I just hopefully can give us some perspective about Jesus because um, I've often joked that um, my ministry is introducing Christians to Jesus, which is challenging because, of course, most Christians are fully convinced that they already know uh, who Jesus was and what Jesus was about, and of course, This entire uh, podcast series that I've been doing, uh, including this one, um, has been all about uh, hopefully correcting or um, shedding some light on maybe some areas where um, we maybe haven't seen Jesus as clearly as we should. So let's just set the stage here. So just imagine if someone arrived on the scene with um, a bold message that threatened the heart of the religious establishment and the authority of the government, but also at the same time inspired masses of people to seriously question their uh, the authority of those institutions, uh, the religious institutions and uh, the political and governmental institutions, right? So how do you think those two established powers, the church and the state, would respond to someone like that? Someone, not just someone who's, you know, complaining, or even not even necessarily someone who's pointing out uh, weaknesses and errors and problems, but someone who at the same time is beginning to grow a large following and has obvious influence over more and more of the hearts and minds of the citizens. Well, if, uh, if that voice was gaining influence and if that figure began to, let's say physically, you know, stand in the way of the collection of taxes that the state, you know, is expecting to receive, you know, on a regular basis, um, and, and if that person also began to, uh, give speeches talking about tearing down buildings and replacing, uh, their governing officials and saying, using language like, you know, he wanted to kind of cast fire on the whole system and burn it to the ground, 
Now, you'd probably start looking for ways to silence a voice like that, right? You'd want them to shut up, (laughs) um, and you would want to shut them down. And that is exactly what got Jesus crucified. See, that's exactly who Jesus was. That's what Jesus did. He challenged the religious powers and authorities and teachers and systems of his own religion, of his own people. He contradicted their scriptures. He quoted them, right? He said, you have heard it said, and he would quote Moses. And he said, but I say to you, and he would say something different. Um, he found fault with their with those leaders, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, their high priests and people like that. He opposed their uh their uh, commitment to keeping the Sabbath, right? I mean, he went head on with them. He butted heads with them over this whole thing about uh, the Sabbath, right? And he taught radical ideas that ultimately made the entire faith power structure obsolete. When Jesus kicked off his walking tour of Judea, you know, he began by saying things like this, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, and when I do, they will disappear. Um, he said things like, Mo- Moses was wrong about who God is because God brings rain on the just and the unjust. And Moses said that was the opposite. And that's why you should love your enemies as God does. And that's what it means to be holy as God is holy. When Jesus says things like, the kingdom of God isn't over here, over there, it's not coming soon, it's not down the road... It's not on a building or a temple. No, it's within every single one of you. You know what that means? It means you don't need a priest or a temple or any animal sacrifices to know God and connect with God because God is abiding in you and you are abiding in God and you are the temple of God. Um, Jesus said things like loving God and loving others is all that was required to fulfill the law. Yeah. (laughs) not keeping the law. You don't have to worry about keeping the law as long as you love God and you love others. That's it. That was a threat to the religious systems of the day. And then when Jesus says things like give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, which really in that context was just his taxes, a small percentage of the money that was collected every year in taxes, but give God what belongs to God, which is by implication everything right? That's a threat to the political system. So, you know, Jesus went as far as to enter the temple in Jerusalem and chase out those that were, uh, they're called the money changers, but essentially there were people that were collecting money, people that were buying and selling, you know, doves, specifically it says, which by the way, that's the, that was for the poor. So they were, uh, they were essentially taxing and uh, exploiting the poor in the temple. And um, and when Jesus did that, understand it says he 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 put a, a he, you know a, a stop to to that whole process, the money changers, which means they didn't make any money that week. And that and that uh, was right up leading up to the uh, Passover, which was really like, you know, like Christmas to them. I mean, it was um you know, it's like it's like if he did this on Black Friday or something, right? You you understand that um, if he if if someone showed up and was talking about tearing down or burning down religious systems, talked about burning down and tearing down governmental authority, and then capped it all off by making it so that there was no Black Friday anywhere, 
yeah, you get people's attention, right? And so, because you hit them in the pocketbook, right? And many people believe that is exactly, that's the final straw. That's what got Jesus crucified. Because he took money away from the Jewish authorities there in the temple during Passover, again, which was the, you know, the most uh, highly trafficked time of the year, um, as far as people coming in and out, traveling from all over, right, to come to the temple for, to celebrate Passover. Um, but by the way, that also then put a damper on the expected taxes they, they were supposed to collect and hand over to the Roman authorities. And so they would have to say, well, we're sorry, we don't have the money uh, that you were expecting because we didn't collect the money either. And why didn't you? Well, it was this Jesus guy because he put a stop to it. He shut, he shut down the temple. So um, Jesus sent this radical and threatening message by doing that. He said that the entanglement, he, he was saying in a sense, that the entanglement of the church and the temple with the empire was an abomination to God. That the temple was a place of prayer for the nations, not just for the Jewish people. He was saying, we're going to take the power back from the religious leaders and the government because we don't need either of them to connect with God. Jesus subverted the power of the empire. He mocked their threats of crucifixion. He wasn't afraid of it. He knew he was going to be crucified if he went to Jerusalem and did what he did and said what he said. Right? He told his disciples all along, that's what's going to happen because he knew. Because he was, you know, opposing them to their face. So he wasn't threatened by the threats of crucifixion. Really, if you think about it, that's the only power the empire has. Any empire, right? It's the the threat of putting you to death or putting you in jail. And the minute you are not afraid of that, they have no power. You've taken away what, what power they think they have over you. So Jesus showed them that he wasn't afraid of what they might do to him or his life, take away his life or even torture him, because he knew that his ideas had more power than theirs. And he was right. They were more afraid of him than he was of them. And the timing of this interruption of the flow of income from the temple authority to the Roman Empire was intended on purpose. It was not an accident. It was intentionally done to challenge both powers, both authorities, the religious and the political. And yes, he got their attention. And yes, it resulted in a mutual agreement of both of those powers, the, the, the empire and the church or the temple. They agreed together. They were going to have to take care of this guy, Jesus, once and for all. And now fast forward, you know, a couple, like 2000 years. And, um, this same anti-religious, anti-government radical has now been rebranded into a symbol for the power of a global Christian church. And that's really sad to me. Because we have a Christianity today that bears the name of Jesus, but has almost nothing to do with the actual Jesus or his message. I mean, I've said this many times, at best, Jesus is a minor character in a faith, in a religion that claims to follow him, that takes his name, but in truth, follows religious doctrines that reorient animal sacrifice, temple, sims, tem- temple systems, and paid clergy and priests. All of these are the same ideas that Jesus died to eradicate, to abolish, to oppose. And it's so sad to me 
really, so many, so much of what the church stands for today, it's a bullet list of things that Jesus stood against. Uh, these these ideas of sacrificing something for God, giving up something for God. Jesus was against that. Um, this idea of going to church as a holy place. He was against that. What When the, he tore the veil in the temple from the top to the bottom, that symbolically was saying that we don't need to meet God in a specific place, on a holy in a holy place, on a holy day, at a holy time, uh, as some sort of a religious you know, ceremony that we have to go through in order to to be in the in the presence of God. You know, Jesus also, more than anyone else, empowered women. He gave them a voice. They supported his ministry. They had equal status within his movement. Jesus humanized the outcast, the sick, the, the quote-unquote sinners, the outsiders, the outcasts. Jesus blessed the unbelievers, the pagans, the doubters. Jesus prayed that all humanity, all humanity would experience the same level of oneness that he experienced with the Father. That's what he was about. That's what Jesus wanted. That was, that was the, the desire of his heart. That we would be one even as he and the Father are one. Jesus made love the only law and the only test of faith was compassion. And I believe what we need is a new vision of who Jesus was and what Jesus stood for. Jesus was anti-religion and he was anti-government. His message was that God's kingdom was within every single one of us. Jesus defied the power of the state. He subverted the power structures of religion and government. And he refused to become the mascot for either of them. And yet today, this is exactly who we've made him out to be. And I want to tell you that Jesus is a lie. That that Jesus doesn't exist. That Jesus is an illusion. That the Jesus that's the poster boy for Christian nationalism. That is not the real Jesus. And I don't know about you, I am in love with that subversive, authority-challenging, status quo-denying, radically defiant Jesus who turned over those tables and did his best to tear down those power structures from the inside out. I, and I firmly believe it's time for Christianity to become dangerous to those institutions. Again, now listen, I'm not calling for violence because Jesus was not about violence. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we should not comply. We should not go along with either of these power structures. Religious power structures, you know, government, nationalism, those kinds of power structures. We are supposed to come out of them. We are supposed to be the third way. Not the church, not the state. Something totally different. Something really, really radical. So... I really do believe it's time for us to rediscover this radical Jesus and for us to do what he did, to turn things inside out, to speak truth to power, to turn things upside down, to create, as they say, some good trouble, simply by refusing to participate in those systems. Let me tell you, there is nothing that the church or the state fears more than millions of Jesus followers who realize they don't need the church to experience God. Nothing more terrifying to an empire or a national government than millions of Christians who refuse to go to war 
or to support tyranny, or to fund their war machines. Because we, Jesus knew this, we have the power. We've always had the power. The power has always been in our hands. And Jesus knew that, and I believe it's time that we realized it too. And I, I've, I've had several conversations in the last few days about how, you know, so often as where people are deconstructing their faith, what, what we're slowly starting to realize is that, that this system of religion, this church system, the evangelical Christianity, um, what, what it has done, it has trained us, programmed us to jump through hoops to receive things we already have, right? And I've talked to so many people who have told me that, you know, I did all these things. I volunteered at church. I I served. I was there every time they hit the doors were open and the lights were on. You know, why? Well, because I wanted to be seen as a leader. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted everyone to know, and I wanted God to know that I was, uh, you know, sold out and I love Jesus and all that. As if by doing all those things, we might, you know, earn or or receive or experience, whether that was in a worship service or in a sermon or in a revival meeting or in a prayer meeting, or a men's, or a women's retreat, or whatever it may have been. And then when you suddenly realize, you know what? I I already have the love of God. 100%. I don't need to do anything to receive that. I'm already forgiven. I'm already accepted. I'm already reconciled to God. That's that's a done deal. God God isn't counting my sins against me, right? I'm reconciled. God has reconciled the world to himself. That So it's done. Like literally, really, really done. And all we really need to do is spend time, you know, enjoying it. Really, enjoying our forgiveness, enjoying our, our freedom, enjoying our acceptance by a God who is love. So I do this, uh, sometimes I do this little thought experiment. So stay with me, This because this is what I'm trying to say. What if there was a child, right? Just imagine, like a little baby girl, right? She's born in a remote part of the world, cut off from all modern culture and society, right? She doesn't speak English. She can't read any languages. She's never experienced electricity, running water. She doesn't know what indoor plumbing is. She never purchased anything from anybody using money, right? She is primitive. And by the way, there are tribes like this, New Guinea and South America and places like this, Africa. Uh, There are these remote sort of tribes that are completely cut off from everybody and everything. So that's what I'm talking about. So so let's suppose, you know, today, a little baby girl is born in one of those remote tribes and places, right? So what is her life like, right? Well, her days, as she gets older, you know, she'll gather food for the tribe for dinner tonight. She might go swimming with some of her friends in a river. Um, she might sit around the campfire, listen to her grandfather, tell stories about their, their history, their ancestors. So let me just ask you, when this little girl lays down tonight in her hut, can she know God? Can she hear God's voice? I mean, is it possible that she could experience a profound and real connection with the creator of the universe. And now if you say no, I want to know why not. 
I mean, does she need someone to come and teach her religious doctrines first? Does she need a, uh, a church or a temple to go to on a Sunday morning so that she can be in the presence of God? Does she have to wait her whole life for a priest or a missionary who's got a holy book, who learns their language so that he can lay out the mechanics of the Trinity and the atonement for her? And you know what? There might have been a time in my life where I might have believed that. But let me tell you, I don't believe that anymore. I cannot accept the idea that that little girl or little boy or anyone like that needs theology or a holy book or a a temple or a church or a priest or a missionary or anything else in order to experience, genuinely, truly experience the presence of Almighty God. First of all, because God is never required any of those things to make God's self known. All of creation pulsates with the presence of the divine. Every bird's song, every ripe fruit, every drop of rain, every night sky flung wide with stars is God's voice surrounding, penetrating, permeating every pore of our being. So temples are not necessary for encountering God's presence. Priests and pastors and missionaries are of no use or not necessary for hearing the voice of God. Holy books, scriptures and writings that you have to learn how to read first are a poor substitute for the experience of the divine within your own heart and your own soul. And that little girl in that remote tribe Without any of those things, no temple, no church, no book, no missionary, no priest. She doesn't require any of those things to know God or to hear the voice of God. When she lays down tonight, closes her eyes, listens to the sounds of the jungle all around her, looks up and sees the moon in the sky, that's all she needs to do. Breathe deep the air. Lie still beneath the trees. Float peacefully on the water. Sleep softly under the stars. Simply close her eyes. Feel the eternal, loving presence of the divine in her own heart. And that's all you need to do, too. (laughs) We don't need pastors or churches or gurus or doctrines or ministries or religious authorities. None of that. No. Just your own ability to be still and to know that God is near. See, this is the radical message of Jesus. This is the message that makes religious systems, churches, religious movements, religious leaders very nervous. This is the message that makes empires and governments really nervous. We don't need anyone to mediate our connection with God. God's Spirit has been poured out already on all flesh, young and old, men and women, rich and poor, gay and straight, doesn't matter, black and white, or red or yellow. The new covenant was all about fulfilling this promise. It has been done. It is accomplished. It is finished. And in that new covenant, it says everyone will know God directly and personally and intimately. 
without the need for anyone else to stand in the way. Because the world has been reconciled to God. So, all we have to do is draw near, be still, listen, taste and see for ourselves who God is and what God is like. Because right now, at this very moment, God is closer than your own heartbeat and as near as your own breath. There is really nothing else that we need to do. So, I hope we get that. I hope that as you've been listening, not only to this episode of this podcast, but all of the episodes in this podcast, that you have picked up on this message. That God is with us. God is for us. God is love. We are God's beloved. And we, I mean, I'm sorry, we we don't need any of these other things. Now, I'm not saying that they're, you know, all bad. Um, I, I, I'm very grateful that we have scriptures. Um, a lot of my friends are pastors of churches. Um, I'm grateful for their wisdom. I'm grateful for their studies. I'm grateful for their teaching. I'm not, I'm not against those things, but I think the problem is that we can treat those things as if they are necessary. In other words, that without them, we have no way of knowing God. We have no way of connecting to Christ. That, that's the mistake. I I know I talked about this in a previous episode when we talked about the scriptures and about the Bible and the canon and things like that. But that's a big mistake, you know, we make. When we approach the Bible, for example, that way, we we mistake the the map for the treasure. We start treating the map as if it's the treasure. And we miss the fact that, no, it's a map that's pointing us to a treasure. We have to go out there and dig it up and find it. And when we do, we have the treasure. And then we don't need the map because we have the treasure, right? Or, or I use the metaphor of the menu and the meal. The, uh, the menu has, has pictures and descriptions of the meal, but it's not the meal. And trust me, that meal is so much more satisfying than the picture. Now, I get it. Sometimes it doesn't look as good as the picture. But but uh, when all is said and done, you're going to be happier that you ate that food, uh, that you tasted it with your mouth, that, you, that it filled your body, that, you, that your body took nourishment from that, um, than if you just sat there looking at that really, really appetizing picture. Right? And so... I think it's so important for us to recognize that even if we even if we are you know helped by scripture even if we are encouraged by teachers and pastors and even by church gatherings and getting together with people and enjoying you know some time together and fellowship and things like that again all good things not against them But when those things, as good as they may be, begin to take the place of an actual connection with God, or even worse, when we begin to believe that if we don't have those things, we don't have the voice of God, the presence of God, the wisdom of God, the reality of the new covenant that we are living in right now, this this idea of the kingdom being within us 
Not coming soon, not over here, not over there, Jesus says. It's within you and me right now. And so that's what I'm hoping that we get. That's what I'm hoping that we understand. How important it is for us to go back to this really radical Jesus who I believe wanted more than anything for us to recognize, to realize, to understand, to fully embrace and accept that every single one of us, just like that little girl uh, in that remote village, that we, we don't require anything to be loved by God, be accepted by God, to be in the presence of God. And, and that message, it can be threatening. And the goal is not to be threatening for the sake of being threatening. But the goal is for us to recognize the freedom that we truly have, the connection that we really, really have right this very second with Almighty God. And I hope that's encouraging to you. Um, I need that reminder sometimes. I think we can get distracted, sort of chasing after approval, chasing after status, chasing, um, you know, wanting to be seen in the eyes of other people as, as, uh, religious or, uh, holy or, you know, whatever. Those are, those are huge distractions, right? Those are big mistakes. And so I hope that this podcast is helpful to you in that way. Um, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for your support. By the way, if you have any questions you'd like me to answer on the podcast, if you have any uh, ideas for future episodes of Second Cup with Keith, please let me know. And those of you who have uh, sent me messages to let me know you enjoy the podcast, I really appreciate that. And for those of you who have suggested uh, topics for Second Cup with Keith, I thank you for those suggestions as well, and I will be getting to them very, very soon. So thank you for your patience. I should also remind you that um, my new book, Solo Mysterium, Celebrating the Beautiful Uncertainty of Everything, is now available. It's on Kindle and uh, in paperback. The audiobook is being recorded right now and should be available hopefully in another week or two. And can't wait to share that with you. I'll be sure and announce that here on the podcast when that's available. So, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, follow me over at KeithShouse.com. That's my blog where I blog regularly. I'm also doing, in addition to my regular blog on Patheos, um, I also do something called The Inner Circle. That is a weekly study. Um, from the, It's the sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas. I've, I've considered maybe having an episode of Second Cup with Keith where I talk a little bit about the Gospel of Thomas. Maybe I'll do that in an upcoming episode. Some of you have been curious about that. Um, like what's the big deal about Thomas. And if you haven't been uh, subscribing to that uh, weekly inner circle series of articles that I've been doing, uh, though, by the way, that's that's also over at keithchiles.com. Just click on any of the posts there that say inner circle and you'll be prompted to uh, sign up. And then if you do that, you know, you can read all of the inner circle posts. But anyway, for those of you that are just curious about it, Maybe I'll do that in an upcoming episode. We'll talk about the the Gospel of Thomas. Um, I'll explain why it's significant and um, and why I'm doing this whole series on uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Like, why is that? What's that all about? So, yeah, if you're interested in that, uh, 
probably do that in an upcoming episode. May Who knows? Maybe the next episode. Hmm. We'll see. All right. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for sharing the second cup with me today. And uh, have a great week. And we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.